the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. The Bible book club, where we read every word of this great book and then study it together. Last episode, we had that big fight between God and Pharaoh. It went five rounds. And go God, God won all five. He did. However, Pharaoh at times looked like he was out, but he would not stay down that pesky old Pharaoh. The severity of the impact of these plagues is escalating with each plague. The plague of the frogs contaminated everything that reeked. The plague of the gnats, it was physically irritating, really annoying, just like they are today. The plague of the flies ruined only the land the Egyptians had. The plague on the livestock killed only the Egyptian animals. And then the plague of the boils covered only the Egyptian people. And so we've come through these several plagues and now we're going to just keep on going. It's It's going to ramp up. The fight continues. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, I shared a room with my sister and two girls with a lot of stuff meant our room was mostly almost always a mess. And my mom was constantly telling us to clean it up, but she was a calm, rational type who was rarely ever severe. But there was this one time when I really procrastinated. And to make it worse, I was sassy about it. I said something like, why? It's my room. Who cares? And without any notice, a switch flipped in the brain of my patient mother. She strode into my room without a word and with one sweep of her arm, everything piled up on my dresser went flying. I'm talking porcelain, perfume, books, clothes, stuff shattered. Then she just walked out. I was so shocked and hurt because it just wasn't like her. But I was also instantly put in my place and reminded that she's the mom, my mom, the one who loves me and the one I'm supposed to obey. I should have listened. In this final division of three plagues, listen for that attitude change in God. There is an intensity and urgency and I mean business. And the time has come for the world to know that I am God. I am the one who loves my people. The people that you, Pharaoh, had the chance to let go, but you didn't listen. As our fight continues today, the outcome for the Israelites is going to be clear. The outcome for Pharaoh is clear. But what is not clear is the issue of Pharaoh's heart. Is it his? Or is it God's? Who has control of the heart? And how does it impact our actions? So before we ramp up in these next two plagues, I want to talk about what we can learn from Pharaoh and his heart. Well, I want to talk about what your mom taught you in your heart, because I'm telling you, I think if my mom had done that, my response wouldn't have been, oh, I should honor my mom I would have been like what the no because my mom there would have been some cursing going on in my head it was my mom was never like that like she was so patient and kind and rational with us that it was so out of character I knew I had crossed a line yeah and I just hadn't listened I didn't want to and that's how Pharaoh was God is going to take it to another level because he is done well I still congratulate your mom for doing an excellent job on your excellent job yes Yes. she did (laughs) okay so what can we learn from Pharaoh about the heart. Let's review where we are and what we have read about his heart so far. First, 
We read way back in Exodus 3 that God knows Pharaoh's going to fight. He knows it. And he says that. It says in 319, God says, I know that Pharaoh will not let you go unless my mighty hand compels him. So this level he's going to take these next two, these next three plagues to, he knew he was going to have to do this. Then God makes clear before the the plagues even start what he will do and why he will do it. He tells Moses in Exodus 7, before the plague start, verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. God knows that Pharaoh will not let Israel go. So what will God do? God will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? So that when they finally go, everyone will know all over the world, it was the Lord God who brought it about. No questions. So next, but how does the hard heart start and who started it? A lot of commentaries talk about this. And a lot of people don't like the answer. So in Exodus 7, 13, going back to Exodus 7 again, Pharaoh and Moses meet before the first plague. And it says right there in verse 13, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord said. Now, this seems a little vague. How did it become hard? But as we're going to progress through the plagues, a pattern's going to emerge and we're going to understand. In the first five plagues, this is our description of Pharaoh's heart from each plague. Plague one, Pharaoh's heart became hard. Plague two, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Plague three, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Four, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And five, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Now, two and four are clear. They say Pharaoh hardened his own heart. No discussion there. But what about one, three, and five? Like Exodus 7, they say it became hard and was hard, which is very unclear. Did that mean he hardened it or God hardened it? Well, I'm going to explain that. Now, moving on to the second five, the second five plagues. This is the description of Pharaoh's heart. A little bit of a change. So listen, six, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Seven, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Oh, well, that's like two and four. Eight, God announced that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart. Nine, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And 10, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Six, eight, nine, and 10 are clear. All God, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. So a little bit of a switch there from the first five to the second five. Now, to explain the ones that aren't clear, track with me here. Remember one, three, and five were a little unclear. Plague seven, however, says, remember, it's the only one of the second group of five that says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But if we look more closely right after it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, it says exactly what it said in one, three and five that was unclear. Pharaoh's heart was hard, which implies that all of the uses of became hard or was hard mean that Pharaoh's hard heart was his own fault, which happened six out of the 10 times. Six out of the 10 times, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And then in the final five plagues, four of them, God does the heart. Now, the point to this is God knew even before these plagues started that this was going to happen. God knows the, the heart and its intent for every one of us. He knows the end of the story before it begins, but still he does give opportunities for humility and repentance. 
and he actually gave several. But Pharaoh chose not to listen. He chose pride. And in the end, he lost the fight. So I hear you, what you're saying about God uh, intentionally did some of this hardening because in the end, he wanted to be able to show his glory that he was the only true God and he's the one who brought them through this. One other point that as I'm seeing you lay this out like this, because, you know, when you read the story, you don't look just at one thing like who hardened the heart. One thing that is jumping off this page at me is that it happened over time. Mm -hmm. And to your point, you have chances along the way to repent and change it. And he didn't. And so how you talked about this way back in Genesis when we were talking about the temptation to sin and Eve and the apple. And it's can you how do you catch yourself? Where's the guardrails Mm -hmm. you can put on yourself so you don't become like Pharaoh? That's why we study Mm -hmm. this part of why in addition to just wanting to understand the full context of the Bible. But we study this so that we can hopefully have a fighting chance to not repeat these same actions that they did. It's like I was with my mom. It's a gamble. Every time you resist and choose disobedience, you're gambling with God. At some point, God's going to, you're going to suffer consequences. Exactly. Or he's going to know you need to learn a lesson. The porcelain's going to go flying. Exactly. No more perfume for you. (laughs) Your breakables are going to (laughs) go. It's, it's, true. So in this case, the hardened heart, what we learn from Pharaoh is, is that there are, there is opportunity to repent. Pharaoh chose not to listen. He, he resisted. And therefore God chose to use Pharaoh as an example to us and to, and to the world. And the mystery of what God knows of our heart and who he chooses to use, we cannot and will not understand the sight of heaven. And so we have to read, you can't overread into this. You have to say, well, you know what? I don't know what point God hardens or, or Pharaoh, because God knew ahead of time. We have to accept that you, you're gambling with disobedience. You just need to stop it right now because you don't want to push it. I think that's a really hard concept though, because like you said, God knows what you're going to choose, but he yep. still gave you free choice. Yep. And so it, that is such a hard concept it's for me hard. anyway to grasp because I mean, I've, I've always felt like if God wants to use you for something and you're not making yourself available. He'll still find a way to yeah. execute his plan. But then I wonder why did, wouldn't he have just executed it that okay. way in the beginning? But it's maybe for your lesson. Well, let me read to you what Paul says in Romans nine seventeen because you and Paul are thinking the same way. Ah, it tells that. us to accept Accept the mystery and not to question God. This is what it says in 917. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Ooh, that's harsh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this is what Paul was saying. He uses Pharaoh in this very example. So just basically don't question why because it's not for us to know. Maybe someday when we get there, we'll know. Exactly. This side of heaven, we will not understand the mystery. 
what we do learn from Pharaoh is don't gamble, just obey. Yeah. Because it's just, I think sometimes that's hard for people to just blindly accept that we're not going to understand on this mm-hmm. side of heaven. That is a hard thing too. And that's pride. Yeah. That's as funny. Note. So the point for us to think about is, do you listen to God? Are you transparent and humble about mistakes or do you harden your heart and resist God? I say both. <laughs> I do listen to God. Uh, a lot of the time, but I certainly catch myself being uh, hard and uh, not uh, and just resisting sometimes the things that God would have for me. And a lot of times I don't usually realize it until later, mm-hmm. but I definitely realize it. And so I definitely in my own life have to put guardrails on myself to make sure that I'm on track and then keep. I, I would say the other thing that I do is keep people around me who I have to talk to, who mm-hmm. I give everyone in my life permission to call me out. And that's a hard thing to do too. You have to be pretty self-aware in order to do that, but it really helps you in your life. You know, you have to give people permission that they can tell you when you're doing something like that and you won't hold it against them. You won't be mad at them. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the beauty of humility. It's if you're willing to correction, to take correction, it's not a big thing. Just tell me, I'd rather be, I'd rather be corrected than wrong. Right. But sometimes it's hard to even, it's hard to take that correction. You have to be really open to it. Yeah. Okay, round seven, the plague of hail, again, escalating up big time on this one. Yes, so we're still in chapter nine, continuing from last episode now in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord set thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had been become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials 
still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripen later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said, through Moses. Okay, so if you are getting lost in all these plagues, remember we do have in the show notes a chart of all the plagues and, you know, whether heart whether fair hardness heart or it was hard or whatever, we we have the goddesses in there that they were kind of disqualifying and the outcome of the destruction. So check it out in the show notes. I think it was interesting at the end there where he said Pharaoh and his officials yes. hardened their hearts. Right. But then it also said right after that, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So it's almost like mm-hmm. that there's also there's a there's a hardening that he did on his own and still an external force there a little bit. Yeah, there's a mix. All right, let's talk about the plague of the hail because because this is a longer plague and there was a lot more detail. And this, so let's just first talk about the significance of the use of hail. It barely even ever rains in Egypt, like two inches a year. So it is just sun, sun all the time. So this would have been super strange to them. And it even said that this is going to be the worst storm that they have ever seen in all the history of Egypt. And it was. The temperatures there also range from a rare low of 50 to the highs in the 90s. And hail requires both moisture and cold, two things the Egyptians are seriously lacking. So while hail is a natural phenomenon in many parts of the world, it was not in Egypt. Like the other plagues, this was an unnatural occurrence in nature. The creation that the Egyptians worshipped with a multitude of gods was in chaos and the God of Israel was against them. All right. The significance of God's words represent a change in intensity. God said he is sending the full force of his plagues so that you may know there is no one like me. In other words, your gods are a figment of your imagination and in particular, your God of the sky, like the goddess nut is who he was disqualifying. But he's also saying, you know, this is this is not just about changing your mind, Pharaoh. This is about everyone needs to know who I am. God also states why his, he is unleashing the full force. I could have wiped you out with one swipe of my arm, just like my mom. Um, (laughs) The reason I did it this way, God says, is so that I could show my power and the world would know. I love the absolute truth of that statement because here we are over 3,000 years later learning of the power of God through Pharaoh's mistake. This story, Egypt and Moses, lives on in movies. It It is a story that that people still tell. And that's exactly why God had it go down this way. The world will know past, present, and future through this story of Pharaoh. I think people still tell it or Hollywood tells it in their way, though. And I'm betting that most people, as they're listening to this, maybe have never read it like this and didn't exactly understand the way that it went down. Because I think the Hollywood version just 
makes it seem like God is this angry God that's raining all these plagues, but he really has a purpose for them. And we need to heed that. Yeah, it's a it's a great lesson. Okay, let's talk about the significance of the devastation. It's an underlying message to the Egyptians. So the use of the words in 925 that Heather just read, the word struck and beat mimics the beating of the Israelites by the Egyptians. Remember, it said throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. Well, remember way back in 211, Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, that same word. And then he murdered that Egyptian. And then in 514, Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers demanding, why have you not met your quota of bricks? It's as if the whole land in this hailstorm has been whipped just as all of Israel had been whipped by the Egyptians. So it's almost like God is in reinforcing that idea, an eye for an eye, like you're going to be treated in the same way that you were treated. But then, of course, we all know Jesus comes and turns that on its head and says, yeah. I tell you not. But there was so much symbolism in all of these plagues for the Egyptians to have their eyes opened. Now, oddly, it does refer to livestock being killed, which is kind of contrary because how did they have any when two plagues ago, the Egyptian livestock was killed Mm -hmm. and it could have been that some were bought. So I'm going to get into kind of the timing of the plagues in a little bit, but it could have been some were bought and it could have been some were taken from the Israelites. Right. Because theirs were not killed. Yeah. So, hey, it's time for a new tax. And exactly. <laughs> we're taking the first of all. Give it, give it up. Yeah. This, All right. Let, the last thing I want to talk about is the significance of Pharaoh's, the officials, and the people's response. When the heavens open up in anger with lightning, thunder, wind, hail, you cannot hide from it. You couldn't have a palace big enough not to have heard this storm. And you cannot dismiss it. It is terrifying. And this does get Pharaoh's attention. He quickly admits that he sinned. He admits that God is right and that he is wrong. But then God hardens his heart. And then we heard that he and the officials harden their own heart. So the people, now Pharaoh's officials take cover. It read that some of them believed and took cover. However, some also hardened their hearts. The people, for the first time in all the plagues, are offered a chance of protection. Pharaoh was told to give an order to bring in the livestock and for people to take cover. Now, some did this, demonstrating a loss of trust in the false gods of the Egyptians and a belief in the God of Israel. So you now see a little crumbling and a splitting of the people. Some of them are turning away from these Egyptian gods and have gotten the message. This God is real. This God of the Israelites, we need to abandon ours. Remember how last episode you were pointing out how sometimes God gave a warning and other times he didn't give a warning? Well, this is a very strong warning. Well, he actually tells Pharaoh, tell everybody they better come in. Yeah, like this is the biggest warning I think he's gotten so Mm -hmm. far for the biggest devastation of the plague that he had so far. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on to round eight, the plague of the locusts. In chapter 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I perform my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. 
So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds because we are to celebrate the festival of the Lord. And Pharaoh said, the Lord Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on a tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites (laughs) go. All right. This is a really cool plague because it's really not about what symbolism for what had happened in the past. It really is tying together a couple of things. So first... Pharaoh's hard heart from the start. In the in in the plague of the locusts, there is no chance Pharaoh will change his heart. God tells Moses that in the very first verse of chapter 10. The officials feel differently and they beg Pharaoh to relent. So the whole country's kind of fallen away. But Pharaoh has terms and God is not negotiating. And Pharaoh's words confessing his sin after the the plague is over hold no value anymore. Right. Yeah. So forgive me. I did it again. I did it again. Now we pray again. But Moses in his faithfulness, he does walk right back out there and pray. Yeah. Like I said before, when somebody asks you to pray for him, make sure you do it. And he does. And he does. It'd be hard to do. Pharaoh is now all alone in the ring with God. The magicians, the officials, and the people have lost faith in their leader. Right, because they're all going to him being like, do you not get it by now? No. You're the only one who doesn't yeah. see that these people actually have a God that's powerful. So the locusts are the final link to the end. 
With each round of this fight, there has been a radical decline in the affluent, prosperous Egyptian nation. The land is totally devastated and their chance for survival is very bleak. Seth, the false god of disorder, darkness and chaos, has been deposed. The eighth plague takes the destruction from the first seven and completes it. The locusts devour all that was left from the hail, linking this plague to the past. And at the same time, the locusts foreshadow the finality of the plagues to come. The blackness of the locusts covering the ground foreshadows the darkness to come in the ninth plague. The locusts come on an east wind to consume the vegetation and the same east wind is going to part the Red Sea. The locusts are carried into the Red Sea and it says not one survives just as the Egyptians are killed in the Red Sea. And it says not one of them survive. A lot of really good parallels. Yeah. This, this, like I said, this plague is tying together all the prior ones. And it's saying, because the people know everything's gone now. Everything. All they have is their life. And even that is tenuous because there's nothing to eat. And so they, this is, and then this darkness comes upon him. And he's saying this God is foreshadowing what is going to come the next plague, more darkness. All right. So the, let's talk about the power of transfer that is complete in this. No one really knows how many days transpired from the first plague to the last plague. There's lots of talk about that. In the movies, we think it's like every other day. He's Mm -hmm. going and sending a plague. It really wasn't like that. Most commentaries believe it was at least 40 days from the first to the last, but possibly it was up to four or five months. So again, that's why there would have been time to buy more livestock in between some of them, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. That's really interesting to think about it dragging on for that long. Because, you know, when you read it, it does go by really fast. But that's a very long time to be being, to be dealing with all of these catastrophes. Well, but it also gives Pharaoh a little time to kind of recover and go, no, we're fine. Yeah. Go back to my old place. So we know it was under a year because Moses was 80 when it started. He's going to wander in the desert with the Israelites for 40 years and he dies at 120. Therefore, he couldn't have turned 81 before they were set three. So it's under a year, could have been anywhere from 40 days to five months, but we're not sure. Whatever the time period, there was an obvious shift in God's attitude and in the world's awareness of who God was. Paralleling God's attitude was Moses's attitude. So let's get back to our hero here. While God worked, there was an obvious shift in Moses's leadership ability and in the world's awareness of how God was going to use this man to free his people. The power that the world thought Pharaoh had has crumbled and the truth behind the power of the universe has been revealed and transferred. God is the one true God and Moses is his man. So you see, as God grows in the eyes of the people, Moses's leadership ability grows and you see Pharaoh just crumbling in power. And I think also when you said that God was doing these progressive plagues, or he even said that, that he was doing it progressively so that they would see his... um his 
God's power, it also had to have given Moses a little more confidence each time and a little more confidence each time, which is probably what led to that increase in his leadership abilities that you just said. And it gave the Israelites a long time to watch Moses and for in their eyes for them to see this man is anointed by God. Right. So it increased their confidence in him as well. Yes, because a million of them have to mobilize in a few days and hit the road. And that had to be super chaotic. Oh, yeah. It would be chaotic to get a hundred of them to mobilize and hit the road. We live in Florida and you know how it is when they have a hurricane and they're trying to evacuate. And we all have cars. So the point to think about this is, is, you know, how are you Moses to God? Do you declare his power? Do people see your faith in God and find it winsome and want to follow you? What awareness are you bringing to God to those around you? Great questions. Well, this fight is almost over. We have gone eight plagues, eight rounds. And Susan, you said there's 10, right? Yeah, we got a couple more. So we got two more to go. So next episode will be the final round, right? We're going we're gonna to get there. The final round with the defeat of the Egyptians. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.